One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, as we're here live on a Thursday night into a Friday on YouTube, do we have ourselves a lot to talk about? Okay, so we are going to start. Uh, I guess I got to start with the Super Bowl. Uh, big game this weekend. Not sure if anybody has heard, but uh, there is a Super Bowl, uh, Kansas City versus San Francisco. Just share a couple quick thoughts and give you my pick. From there, we will talk about the big news in college football. Nick Saban, go to college game day. I think it's great for college game day. Curious, the the, the group that they put around him, we'll discuss all that. From there, a little bit of college hoops. Do want to talk a little bit about the Alabama-Auburn game on Wednesday night. Listen, great win for Auburn. We're not here to tear apart the Tigers. Thought it was a big win for them. But that refereeing debacle was insane, and I think it speaks to a still-evolving issue in college sports. We'll preview the weekend, Gonzaga, Kentucky, among the marquee college hoops games. And we will go ahead and wrap with America's favorite podcast segment, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, with my best and worst takes of the week. Before we get started, if you're watching on YouTube, first of all, make sure to like this video, help us move up in that algorithm. And if you are watching on YouTube as well, make sure to subscribe. You can obviously get notifications, put that bell on so you get alerted every time that we go live. Also, full podcasts available on Apple and Spotify. You know you can get Torres pretty much everywhere, social media as well. Make sure you're following. With that said, it's a Thursday night. We are, what, about 72 hours away from the Super Bowl as I record, maybe 48 or so hours as you listen. With that said, no more time to waste. Let's get to the topic of the day. The topic of the day, listen, it is the Super Bowl. And one thing I'll say, you know, it's Thursday. We've been talking about this game for two weeks. You didn't come here to listen to Torres talk about the Super Bowl uh, for, you know, 25 minutes here. You don't need me to break down the Brock Purdy. What does it mean for his legacy and what happens in the, like, no. I just have a couple quick thoughts. Like everybody else, do want to give my Super Bowl pick and prediction before we get to some Saban stuff, before we get to some college hoop stuff, the Auburn-Alabama game, et cetera. I guess what I would say about the Super Bowl, I don't ever remember, ever remember a Super Bowl quite like this and the two teams that are in it. Now, obviously, look, San Francisco is the number one seed in the NFC. KC has won a million of these things over the last couple of years. But at the same time, like if you think about the team specifically, don't know that we've ever seen anything quite like this. Kansas City was basically not good all year long. You can lie to yourself. You can tell yourself, no, they weren't that bad. Torres is exaggerating. They were not very good for most of the regular season. San Francisco, on the other hand, has not been good in the playoffs, yet Kansas City and San Francisco are here. And when I think about these two teams, I think that's kind of the more interesting part to me. When I look at Kansas City, again, we can deny that they were not good during the regular season, but they were not. They lost to the Bills when the Bills were struggling. They lost to the Packers before the Packers really got going. We all watched that uh, Christmas Day game against the Las Vegas Raiders where the Raiders basically did throw a pass the entire second half 
and still beat Kansas City at Arrowhead. And so what I've seen from Kansas City, this is an interesting thought from my perspective, is that they almost remind me of like those old LeBron Cavs teams of a few years ago. If you uh, if you watch the NBA, and even if you don't, you pretty much remember when LeBron got back to Miami, every got back from Miami to Cleveland, excuse me, every single year it was kind of just like, okay, let's just get to the playoffs and we'll figure it out once we get there, right? It didn't matter if you're the one seed, the two seed, the three seed, the whatever. And that's kind of what Kansas City has done. Like most teams in the NFL, even teams that have made runs as a wild card or not as a number one seed, they kind of get hot towards the end of the year and then they get really hot in the playoffs. Kansas City was awful at the end of the regular season, but they figured it out against Miami. Sorry, producer Matt, who is a huge Dolphins fan. Uh, so they, they beat Miami. They obviously take care of Buffalo and they take care of Baltimore. San Francisco, on the other hand, is the opposite. They were awesome all year, and it, it's kind of actually the exact opposite. That Christmas day was a turning point for both. Uh, both rock bottom, but Kansas City was never good up to that point. It's kind of gotten better since. San Francisco was not good up to Christmas day and hasn't really been that good uh, after that. You go back and look. Think about the games that they have played over the last couple weeks. Green Bay, they're down going into the fourth quarter. It isn't pretty. They're not playing well. Purdy's throwing the ball all over the field. A couple in, uh, a couple turnovers, whatever. Then all of a sudden, they get a couple stops. They get going. They take the, the you know, they're, they're in the fourth quarter. Green Bay misses a field goal, and all of a sudden, San Francisco somehow wins that game. And what's crazy about that game? Like I, I was doing Fox Sports Radio that night. We had Trent Williams on after the game, and he even admitted, "Oh, that was not good. We did not play our best football." You kind of think they're coming out. And you're going to get a much better effort when they come back on the field for Detroit in the NFC Championship game. Again, instead, we all watched it. Uh, it was not pretty, especially early for the San Francisco 49ers, down 24-7 to at halftime. And then kind of the same thing. What ends up happening? They end up uh, getting a stop. Detroit turnover. Score here. Field goal there. Touchdown there. And then all of a sudden you look up. Dan Campbell's peeing down his leg. And San Francisco ends up winning the game. And so I just bring it up because two like super unique teams. But then on top of that, as I look forward to this game, what do you do? I think we would all probably agree that San Francisco has more good players across the board. I also think we would also agree like, you're really going to bet against Patrick Mahomes? I don't think so. I'm not going to. And, and the Chiefs, ultimately, this is I'm, I'm, I'm underselling. Like I'm supposed to build up to the moment where I make my Super Bowl pick. Everything that's been building to this moment. I have taken the Chiefs, but it's not for the reason you think, and it's actually not for Mahomes. Because if you watch the Chiefs the last couple of weeks, Dolphins, Bills, Ravens, what has been the story of this team? It's been the defense. Travis Kelsey. Patrick Mahomes has been great, but he's also just not made mistakes. And I was thinking about the Chiefs a little bit. I think you have to give them credit for fundamentally changing who they are late in the season and figuring out their exact strengths and what they do well. You know what this actually reminds me of in a lot of ways? Do you remember during college football season, we talked a lot about Alabama on this show? And remember Alabama, I was kind of saying like, this is Nick Saban's best coaching job ever. And it was Nick Saban's best coaching job ever because of the simple fact that basically, um, you know, like in the middle of the year, Nick Saban kind of realized, you know what? We can't do the things that we, that we plan on doing in the preseason. We were going to have Jalen Milrow throw the ball 30, 35 times and try to make him Tua or Bryce Young or, or Mac Jones. He can't be that. And so 
on the fly, they fundamentally changed who they were. And that's kind of what I feel like with the Chiefs. The Chiefs forever have been the air it out, throw it deep, do this, do that. And they couldn't be that team all year long. And so it wasn't until the playoffs, but they kind of figured out this is who we have to be. We have to run the ball. We have to short pass to Travis Kelsey. And we got to play defense for the first time in this entire regime. And they have fundamentally changed who they are. They don't have a deep threat. They thought it was Kadarius Toady. Then they realized they couldn't trust him. He hasn't even suited up the last couple games. And so they've had to turn into this defense running team and Mahomes not making mistakes. That's the thing I don't think a lot of people realize. You know Mahomes has not turned the ball over once in three playoff games this playoffs. That's pretty impressive. And so they've changed who they are. They remind me of Alabama, and that's why I think they're going to win. One, I'm just not betting against the Chiefs, point blank, end of story. Did it against the Ravens. Two weeks ago, I came on this show on this Thursday, and I said, you know, the Ravens are going to win. Defense is amazing. It's Lamar's time. And then Kansas City went to Baltimore and won that game. And so when I look at this game, I just sit there and say, like, I'm not betting against Mahomes, but they have fundamentally changed who they are. They are a different team from early in this run when Tyreek Hill was on the team. They're different than they were even a year ago when they beat the, the Philadelphia Eagles. But I like the Kansas City Chiefs to win. I know they're a slight underdog, uh, but I would take them straight up on the money line. I think it's a two and a half point spread in the DraftKings Sportsbook. And what I will say, by the way, is this. You know, Torres loves giving out gambling picks. Had an awful one last night with Auburn, Alabama. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I will also say, this is one I don't feel super confident on. If San Francisco wins, I would not be surprised. But go ahead, give me the Chiefs uh, 24 to 17. I'll take the Chiefs to win. I know that's like the most generic NFL score you could possibly have. Think the Chiefs are good. Don't think the Chiefs are great. But I just think they're, they're kind of built to do what they need to do to win games, no matter how ugly it is. I think it's also worth noting, San Francisco slow starts, fast finishes. Kansas City fast starts, kind of play defense from there. San Francisco, this is not the team that you can fall down against and expect to come back. I do have Kansas City winning. Don't feel great about it, but that is your official Torres Super Bowl pick. Well, that said, let's go ahead and switch gears. You know, listen, I'll say this. It, it, it's the time of year. It's a pretty slow time in terms of college football. We did have National Signing Day. I did do a Terry Bussey standalone segment. If you care about, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Texas A&M, all that good stuff. We did a, a Terry Bussey segment. Probably do a little bit on Kalen DeBoer going forward because uh, I thought even though he signed a small class, uh, I thought it was a nice day for him as he kind of signed the guys that he had too late uh, on top of all the guys that Nick Saban signed as well. But kind of a quiet time in the college football world. But we did get a very big piece of news in college football on Wednesday night. And that is when we found out the recently retired Nick Saban I don't think any of us thought that he was just going to disappear and play golf and do whatever it is retired people do. I don't even know what they do. Probably not going to be me for a long time. But anyway, um, I think we all kind of knew Nick Saban was really going to retire. And so I only bring it up because on Wednesday, we found out what Nick Saban's next chapter is going to be. He is going to be a college game day co-host. This is not surprising. This is basically like, I feel like we've been talking about Nick Saban eventually going to college game day once he retires for like 10 years. I think I saw a quote from Kirk Herbstreet in like 2016 
that was basically like, yeah, when I, I expect Nick Saban to be on a college game day desk more than I believe he'll ever coach in the NFL again. This was when there were thoughts that Nick Saban could potentially go to the NFL. So this isn't surprising. I do want to talk about it really quickly because I, I will say, like, I don't think the interesting part is Saban himself. I do think the interesting part is who they're going to put around him, what the stat, what what the group is going to look like, what the team is going to look like. I'll talk about all that in a minute. Now, in terms of how I think Saban's going to do, I think he's going to be awesome. And I think the only thing you need to know about why Saban is going to be awesome is basically was said in the ESPN press release. ESPN president Jimmy Pitaro said this about Nick Saban. Nick Saban is a singular iconic presence in college football. He is also an extremely gifted communicator who will immediately add even more credibility, authority, and entertainment value to ESPN, including our esteemed game day show. So look, we all know Nick Saban's an icon, but I thought the second part was important. He is an extremely gifted communicator who will immediately add credibility, authority, and entertainment value to ESPN. So listen, you don't need me to tell you that Nick Saban's a good communicator. But that to me is why I'm so excited to have Nick Saban on game day. Every single time that we have heard him talk about pretty much anything of any relevance, he's kind of incredible at it. And it obviously started, you know, when he was a head coach, like when he'd go to the podium and he'd be passionate about my team's not playing well. We need more discipline. We need more accountability. We need more structure. And he kind of just heard him go on those speeches off the top of his head that were total rants, but were probably a little pre-planned. You're like, my goodness, this guy is smart. You know, my buddy Clay Travis has said this for years. Like, we wasted Nick Saban's intelligence as a football coach. Like, he should have been doing something much more important and impacting the world more than drawing up, you know, cover two defenses. So he's always been great at communicating what he wants to say. But more importantly to me, why I think Saban is going to work on college game day, he clearly very much cares about the health of college football. And it's funny, right? Because we always, I guess what I would say with Saban is this, is when he was coaching, every time he spoke out about a topic, there was the national media that doesn't really understand college football versus the national media that does. And what would Nick Saban always say? He'd always say something to the effect of, is this what you want college football to be? Whether it was how offenses were run 10, 12 years ago whether it was the transfer portal, unlimited transfers, NIL. And every time he spoke out about something, you know, the national media that doesn't cover college football would sit there and say, oh, Saban's just mad because the transfer portal means that he's not going to be able to build super teams. NIL means he's not going to be able to build super teams. Uh, you know, the, these offenses mean that he's not, he's going to be irrelevant. Well, he figured out offenses with Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian and all those guys. I think he did pretty well in the transfer portal with uh, Jamison Williams coming in and all the guys that he brought in through the years. I uh, don't think it, neg and by the way, I don't think it ever negatively impacted him since his last season, he won the SEC and went to the college football playoff. So I think he genuinely cares about the sport. I think he has a genuine interest in leaving it better than it is. And I think he has a genuine interest in helping us get to the quote unquote finish line on the big topics. And it's been interesting because Greg Sankey has done a bunch of interviews this week about like, we're just not where we need to be. We're not where we need to be on the big issues that matter in college football. And we know what they are. NIL, portal, all that. No one's anti-portal. No one's anti-NIL. I have yet to hear any prominent person in college sports say, I don't like NIL. Let's go back to not paying players. 
But I think we all kind of understand you can't have NIL with the portal, with no rules, with no contracts, with no whatever, where players can leave whenever they want. They can demand whatever they want. If they don't get what they want, they can leave three, four, five times. Not only is that not good for college football, it's not good for the student athlete either. It's not good to go to four schools in five years, four schools in four years, three schools in four years. So a lot of guys are leaving college without graduating, leaving college without their degrees. So Nick Saban really cares. And I think more importantly, he understands the issues. Now, what I will say about Saban on game day, this is the part that I do think is interesting, that I do think is worth discussing. What exactly is the group that's going to be around him? Because I'll just be honest, I, I don't know that, um, you know, I don't know that we need the full desk with Corso, Fowler, or not Fowler, Reese Davis, Herb Street, Corso, Desmond Howard, Pat McAfee, and now, now Nick Saban. I don't think we need it. So I'll be curious what they do because a couple things. One, not totally sure we need Desmond Howard at this point. And listen, I'm not the guy that loves to go after other media members. Now, guys that cross me, those losers on social media, you know who you are. Then I'll come back at you. I'll say something. You bother me enough. I'll say something, but for the most part, I like to stay out of stuff. It's whatever. But Desmond Howard literally brings nothing to college game day at this point, right? I get that he's a Heisman Trophy winner. I get that he has credibility. Guess what? You got a bunch of Heisman Trophy winners on your staff and on your uh, uh, payroll already. If it's really about having a Heisman Trophy winner, bring in RG3, bring in Tim Tebow. Like Desmond Howard does not move the needle. As a matter of fact, he just drives people crazy. Um, and I'll be curious what they do with McAfee. Like, I, I listen. McAfee blocked me on social media. Okay. I, I don't think he's, I think he's very talented. I think he's a great radio host. I think he's incredible on the WWE stuff. I think he just signed a new contract there. I don't know that we need him like on the desk for four hours, breaking down, you know, Iowa state, Kansas or whatever, you know, as it feels like that's a, that's a Herb street thing. That's a Reese Davis thing. That's maybe a Nick Saban thing, whatever. And then we'll see what happens with Lee Corso, man. Listen, it is, you know, a Thursday at six twenty one Eastern time. I'm not here to just like bash Lee Corso. I don't think, uh, I don't know how to say this delicately. I don't know if we really need Lee Corso on the desk anymore. You know, 80, 88 years old. He's, we, we know what's going on. We all wish him well. We all wish him health and happiness. I actually think it's probably a disservice to him to even have him on the desk. If you want to keep him around, do a headset pick, whatever, headgear pick, whatever. My dream desk, by the way, Herbie, Nick Saban, Reese Davis, have McAfee in the crowd riling people up, doing kind of offbeat interviews, bring them to the desk maybe here and there. Let Nick Saban, you know, what's the old saying the kids say? Let let so-and-so cook. Just get Saban on the desk and let Nick Saban cook. That That's my big takeaway on that. So Saban is going to game day. I think it's actually going to be really cool. I think it's going to be cool to have him around. I think it's kind of an interesting parallel, having him on one show, Urban Meyer on the other. Just interesting how those two careers have kind of the paths that they have taken. Uh, obviously, with Urban Meyer, multiple national championships. Nick Saban, multiple national championships. Feels like most people have one very distinct perception of, of Nick Saban versus Urban Meyer on the other. Anyway, I've talked long enough, but the bottom line remains, uh, I am fired up to have Nick Saban on game day. I think it's going to add a ton to the show. I think McAfee definitely brought some juice to the show this year. I think Nick Saban is going to bring even more. All right, let's switch gears. I uh, do want to get to some college hoops. Listen, by the way, I'll say this too, before we even dive into college hoops. Know this time of year, we kind of jump around from topic to topic to topic. As we get into late February and early March, we are going to go full speed ahead on college hoops. Just like we go full speed ahead 
on college football in August, September, October, November. But there just isn't a lot going on. And it's kind of crazy because when I look at college hoops, this is this is the wild part to me about college hoops, is that like with college hoops, um, we we raved and got excited about um, you know, we 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 got excited about last weekend. We had the unbelievable slate, Kansas Houston. We had what? What was the uh what were the other games? North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, Tennessee, Purdue, Wisconsin. This week's been kind of a dud from the college basketball perspective. Listen, I love college hoops. Haven't been a ton of great games. Even on Tuesday's show, we talked a little bit about Carolina losing to Clemson, but UConn played a, a you know, a bad Butler team. Uh, Kentucky played a bad Vandy team. And this weekend, there aren't a lot of marquee games. We'll get to that in a minute. Before we get to the weekend, though, there is one game that I do want to discuss from the last couple days, uh, and that is Alabama at Auburn, Iron Bowl in basketball, part two. These two teams played about two weeks ago in Coleman Coliseum. Really entertaining game. Alabama ends up winning that game at home. Return game at Auburn on Wednesday night. Top 20 matchup. Auburn gets the win. Final score, I believe. Let me double check on this. I believe 98 uh, 98 to, uh, let's see, make sure I got this right. 98 to uh, 89-81, okay? So first of all, shout out to Torres. I did have the under in this game as my best bet. Not my finest moment as a professional better. I'm not a professional better, but yeah, as a better. Not my finest moment, okay? But I want to talk about this game. Big game, big result, big matchup. I think it was a great win for Auburn. But before we get into this game, and listen, this is no disrespect to Alabama fans or Auburn fans. I don't really want to talk about the results as much, even though I do think it's important for Al- for Auburn, excuse me. What I do want to talk about, this was one of the wildest games from a refereeing perspective that I have ever seen. And what I will also say, this game was just a total debacle from a refereeing perspective. I'm just going to, for people who didn't watch this game, let me just give you some stats on this game. In this game, I don't think you're ready to hear this. You know, it's like, you know, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. 99-81 was the final score. In this game, there were 61 Total foul calls in this game. 61 total foul calls in a 40-minute basketball game. This wasn't a triple overtime, quadruple overtime game. 61 fouls. But beyond that, how about this? This is the part that's crazy. 85 foul shots in the game between Alabama and Auburn in a 40-minute basketball game. And so we'll break down the game. We'll talk about the wins and losses. We'll talk about what matters and what doesn't. But I have to say this. That is just so... So, 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 so unacceptable. And I am also here to say, Greg Sankey, this happens way too often in your league. You've got to do something. Before we get to this game specifically, a couple things. Because one, I know what people are going to say. First of all, Torres, all you ever do is complain uh, is complain about the refs, okay? You've been, you've been complaining about Purdue and Zach Eady all year. You're complaining about this. You're complaining about that. Now you're complaining about Alabama-Auburn. And it's crazy because it's a little bit of a heel turn for me. I'm usually the guy, like, I hate whenever a team loses. It's like, oh, it's always the ref's fault. So I don't want to be the guy that's always complaining about the refs. And I will say in general, I think college basketball, the refereeing situation has actually been a little bit better this year than it has been in years past. I think it's been a lot better. They figured out the block charge. But again, 
And, and by the way, I'd also say this. I understand that the way Auburn plays, they're very physical. They're very tough down low. It makes the game tough to officiate, especially, by the way, because I had a referee friend reach out, say, hey, I was working. I didn't have a chance to watch this. How bad was it? I also get that they kind of started the game early with a tight whistle. It's a rivalry game, crazy crowd at Neville Arena. You don't want things to get out of control, but you just can't have this in major college basketball. Again, I just want to reiterate, 85 foul shots, 61 total fouls in 40 minutes of play. Producer Matt, I just told you he is a Miami Dolphins fan. He is also an Auburn grad. This should have been, you know, celebrating the streets. I got a call out Thursday because I'm too hungover from, from celebrating this win. Instead, he told me it was as unwatchable for him as it was for the rest of us. And so when I look at this game, like a few things. One, first of all, it's just, it's not fair to the consumer, okay? And again, I'm not anti-referee guy. Every game needs to have three, like, I'm not that. But think about those fans at Auburn. That is a small arena. That is a rivalry game. My guess is that some of those tickets went for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for a top 20 matchup in one of the fiercest rivalries in college sport. And I get Auburn won, so you're happy, but they didn't pay to see that. By the way, me as a consumer, you as a consumer did not want to watch that either. I rearranged my whole schedule. It's my job. I get it. I'm not saying you should feel sorry for me, but I'm sure many of you did too. It's a Wednesday night. There's nothing else going on. We're still five days away from the Super Bowl. We got a top 20 matchup I want to watch. And about probably 10 minutes in, you probably had to turn it off. I'll be honest. This is not going to make me sound good as an analyst or an expert or whatever you want to call me. Many of you would call me neither. I basically didn't watch the second half. It was clear Auburn was going to win. And the refereeing made it unwatchable. Not fair to the players either. Say this, put out a couple tweets. Don't want to say who, not going to put them on the spot. Had a couple players like the tweets because they're like, this is a showcase game for us too. Auburn is trying to prove how good we are. Um, Alabama is trying to pick up a huge signature road win. NBA scouts are in the building, national TV game. It's the only game in town. And the game was ruined by whistles. And a couple last thoughts, and I actually want to give a little bit of credit to Auburn. Apparently, like in the Auburn community, they think I never give them credit for anything. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, but from, the, the, my, I guess my last thought is this about the refereeing, because I had a lot of people push back. Well, Torres, you know that the SEC doesn't have, because I tagged Greg Sankey, and I know he didn't see it. I know he doesn't care. But I tagged Greg Sankey, and I had people, oh, you know the SEC doesn't have its own refs. Like, in other words, like the SEC does not have its own refs. Like, they don't. They don't employ referees full-time, and I get that. For people who don't know what I'm talking about, um, every, every referee in college basketball is an independent contractor. So you could literally have a guy working one night, the USC-UCLA game on the West Coast, the next night he could be working Alabama-Auburn. You could have guys working six games in six days, six games in seven nights. Like, like these guys are independent contractors. They don't work for the league. And so I had a lot of people saying, Torres, why do you think Greg Sankey cares? Why are you tagging him? Um, he can't control it. And all I would say to that is you cannot control, you cannot tell me that Greg Sankey, the most powerful man in college sports, and he is more important than anybody at the NCAA, more important than Tony Petiti, more important than any of the other commissioners in college sports. You cannot tell me that Greg Sankey, at least for his league, can't do something. I'm not saying he, he's got stuff on his plate. Okay. I'm not saying he has to overhaul the entire refereeing situation in college basketball. 
But you mean to tell me that Greg Sankey, who has been a leader in every area of college sports for about the last five years, starting with COVID in college football, he snubbed his nose at everybody else that said it couldn't be done. And from there, whether it was expansion, whether it was whatever, he has thumb- he has set the tone for everything in college sports. And so you mean to tell me that he can't find some sort of solution? Because it's, it's only hurting his product. Remember, ESPN is only going to have more SEC games going forward because they are the ex- ESPN is the exclusive home of the SEC starting next year. No Big Ten on ESPN. No SEC on any of these other networks. And so your product is going to be on TVs Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, every single week, all college basketball season. You have to figure something out. It's got to be better than this because this has been an ongoing thing. And that was the thing that stood out to me on Wednesday night. It wasn't just Alabama fans complaining. Auburn fans weren't happy either. Um, Tennessee fans chimed in. Arkansas fans chimed in. Kentucky fans chimed in. Ole Miss fans chimed in. Everybody understands that this is not good enough. I don't know if the answer is hiring referees full-time. I don't know if it's eliminating certain referees from being allowed to call your games. Wink, wink, nod, nod. You know who I'm talking about in terms of the two or three truly miserable refs in this sport. But you can't have that in a showcase game. And it really marred what was otherwise a good game. Really quickly, do want to give some credit to Auburn. Because, listen, Alabama's really good. I think Nate Oates is actually doing an incredible coaching job because I think Alabama's good. I don't think they're anywhere close to as good as they were last year. Auburn's a real team, though. Play about 9, 10 guys. I know that drives some Auburn fans crazy. They want uh, too many guys in the rotation. Whatever. It's working for Bruce Pearl. I think they're 19-4 and right now as I record. uh, Very much in the SEC title race. And what's interesting about Auburn, if you look at their schedule, the schedule kind of breaks very nicely for them uh, in terms of a run towards an SEC championship. Right now, as the standings uh, sit, there's a four-way tie in the loss column with South Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, and Tennessee. Tennessee actually has one less game played, so they're technically a half a game back. But I only bring it up because you look at Auburn's schedule. They've already played Alabama twice. They only play Kentucky once, South Carolina once. They get them both at home. They do have to go to Tennessee. Final five games of the regular season, two games against Georgia, With their head coach, mediocre Mike White, he's terrible. Missouri, the worst team in the league. Mississippi State at home, which is beatable. And you do have a game against Tennessee. But their their next three are at Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky. And they have a very, very manageable stretch those final few minutes. Final few games, excuse me. So credit to Auburn. One last thought, by the way, on Auburn. If you have not seen Janai Broom, their starting center yet, this guy's unbelievable. First of all, shout out to uh, my guy, Preston Spradlin, the head coach at Moorhead State. Moorhead, he, uh, Janai, Janai Broom played at Moorhead State for a couple years. Uh, I know Coach Spradlin well. I talked to him the last time they made the tournament when Janai was a freshman, um, and he told me the whole recruiting story, whatever. But this kid transferred to Auburn two years ago, and listen, it, it's hard to argue that anyone other than Dalton Connect should be SEC Player of the Year right now. But Janai Broom averaging 16 points per game, nine rebounds, two and a half blocks, and he's doing it in 24 minutes of play. I think he's as good as any big man in college basketball outside of obviously like Zach Eady, maybe one or two others. But I mean, this guy is so good, does not get the credit he deserves. That guy should be on every All-American list. I saw, I think it's Evan Maya basically puts out some stats and whatever, and he said that statistically he's been one of about the six or seven best players in college basketball. Really quickly, not a ton of marquee games on the schedule this weekend. 
actually kind of disappointing. Now, I understand Sunday, Super Bowl, who's going to be in front of a TV watching college basketball? And by the way, nobody wants to be in the stands watching games either. But you know, we do not have one top 25 matchup from now uh, until, I guess, next Monday or Tuesday. I think big Monday, technically. We don't have a top 25 matchup on Saturday. And I know some of it's out of the TV control. You know, you put together the schedule. You hope some teams are better than they are. Not a ton of super important games. The only one that I do think is worth diving into really quickly, Gonzaga, Kentucky. Gonzaga is at Kentucky, 4 p.m. Eastern, Saturday, CBS. First of all, for people who are kind of scratching their heads, yes, we do have a late season out-of-conference matchup. Now, if you're my age or older, if you're in your mid-30s or later, you remember, like, we used to have top 25, or we used to have really good marquee out-of-conference matchups all the time late in the season. I remember being a UConn fan, and, and I remember UConn played at Kansas in like the end of January, and it was a huge deal. This was in 95, 94, something like that, kind of the early years that I remember watching college hoops. But you go back even to before I started becoming a fan. You know, Jerry Tarkanian's UNLV Rebels would always play two or three marquee out-of-conference games late in the year. Duke would always play marquee out-of-conference games late in the year. Kansas, UConn, as I said. So we have this. I don't know exactly why it was scheduled late. My hunch is, I, I think, if I remember correctly, John Calipari basically said, I have a young team. I don't think he explicitly said it. But basically, I have a young team. You know, we don't want to front load the schedule. This will be a good mid-February, you know, mid-SEC schedule test. I think for Gonzaga, the hope was, hey, we have a marquee game later in the year to get us for ready for March. Well, you look at this game. Forget getting ready for March. Gonzaga's got to get to March first. They got to win this game. And so when you look at this game, it's actually a very important game for both teams. Listen, we've talked a ton about Kentucky. They got the very nice win over Vanderbilt a couple days ago. Took care of business against Vandy. Get the win. All of that good stuff. But now you got to come back. That was a game that you had to win. You had to look good. No excuses. Whatever. Well, now you come back and you got to play Gonzaga. And this is kind of an important game. Kentucky, I guess this is a big thing on Kentucky social media. They fell to a six seed in Joe Lenardi's bracket since the last time they played. So they were a five seed. They beat Vandy. Then Joe Lenardi puts out his new bracket and they're a six seed. So listen, you took care of Vandy. You did what you had to do. You got to keep it going against Gonzaga. And then you look at Gonzaga's resume. It's kind of insane. Gonzaga does not have a quad one win all year. For people who don't know what quad one is, those are the most important wins. The NCAA tournament resume, you know, that you use for the NCAA tournament resume. Gonzaga does not have a signature win all year. Best wins, bad Syracuse team, bad UCLA team, bad USC team. They just lost to St. Mary's, the best team in their conference on last Saturday. You have got to get the victory here. Now, in terms of this game, a couple things. One, from the Gonzaga side of things, listen, them not having a signature win is not a fluke. I've been telling you since last, what, April? I said this program is going in the wrong direction. Ever since Tommy Lloyd, who's now coach at Arizona, left for the head coaching job at Arizona, that was after Gonzaga made the title game in 2021, they haven't had the same level of talent. Now, the first year, Chet Holmgren committed like a week after the season. You're fine. Last year, even, they really weren't that good, but Drew Timmy covered up a lot of stuff. This year, you just look at them. They just, nothing really stands out. Ryan Emhard, three, four-year college player. He's good. He's not great. 
Nolan Hickman, three, four-year college player. He's good, but he's not great. Graham E.K., big guy down low. He's good, but he's not great. They just don't have the dudes that they used to have. They don't have the depth that they used to have. I thought it was interesting. This is the worst three-point shooting team of the Mark Few era. Now, Kentucky fans will tell you everybody gets hot at Rupp Arena, so you don't have to worry about that. But this Gonzaga team, I just don't think, is to the level of previous Gonzaga teams. And I also think that's why Kentucky has to win this game. This doesn't look like a bad loss on the resume. But it would be it, it's more important that you don't it's more important that you don't lose than you win, if that makes sense, because you smoked Vanderbilt. You got uh uh Ole Miss coming to town next week, who's playing really well. And this is just one you gotta have. Kentucky looked really good. I think what'll be interesting about this game, we're recording on Thursday night. There may be some new information that comes out at some point, but at the same time, like until we hear otherwise, I still think getting DJ Wagner back is important. Uh, Reed Shepard has been playing so many minutes at the point guard. He looked obviously really good the other night. Um, Rob Dillingham is unbelievable. I do think you probably do want DJ Wagner back in this game. Antonio Reeves was awesome against Vanderbilt. But listen, Antonio Reeves played 31 minutes. Reed Shepard played 36 minutes in that game. And Rob Dillingham played 30. So first of all, credit to Cal for playing the, the hot hands, the guys that you needed to. Um, but at the same time, I do think that that from the Kentucky perspective, you want DJ Wagner back, try to get him healthy, try to get ready for this game and try to go on a run because you are, as we record here, sitting at 16 and six overall, five and four in the SEC. You're two games back in the loss column. This is a game that you need to win. And by the way, unlike Auburn, the schedule does not get easier for Kentucky. Three of the next four in the SEC, Ole Miss at home at Auburn, Alabama. So two wins that you absolutely want to get. By the way, I know I said this weekend in college hoops isn't very good. Next Saturday, you get Alabama, or, or Kentucky at Auburn. The week after, you get Alabama at Kentucky. So at least we get a couple good games there. All right. I think that's it. We got one more segment. Before we do, Producer Matt, do we have anything interesting from, from the chat from the peanut gallery? Pretty quiet day today. All right. So we will go ahead and wrap as we do every Friday. With America's favorite podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. For people who are new to the show, yes, I stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Uh, Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every single show, and I decided every single week, excuse me, and I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres Pod for one very simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. Torres said this. Torres said that. You should have listened to Torres. I never shut up. I get it all the time on social media. Torres, you love to talk about yourself. Well, if I'm going to take victory laps when I get stuff right, I also got to own it when I get stuff wrong too. So every single Friday, we wrap the show with a segment called Aaron Right, Aaron Wrong, giving you my best takes of the week, but also my worst. Let's go ahead and dive in. Where Aaron was right. So I opened last week or uh, last Wednesday show, so the last episode, talking about why Las Vegas should host pretty much every single major sporting event. And I don't know if this is technically right, but are you watching these shows? The energy, the atmosphere, the enthusiasm from the hosts, from the TV people in Las Vegas, everyone seems like they're having a great time. Maybe I just follow too many people in the media, but radio hosts, TV people, podcast hosts, whoever it is, everybody in Vegas is having a good time. Listen, this is no disrespect to when Minnesota hosted the Super Bowl, when Jacksonville hosted the Super Bowl. Even like a Houston is fine, whatever. But let's be honest. 
all major sporting events should probably be in one of like three cities, Miami, uh, Vegas, maybe LA, certainly new Orleans, probably Arizona. Those five feel like that's about the rotation that it should be. Glad Vegas is hosting big events. Glad it's hosting the Super Bowl. It won't be the last, by the way, 2027 final four, 2028. I don't even know. I don't even care. All I do know is I was dead right. Vegas is awesome. Where Aaron was wrong. So one of the two teams playing in the Super Bowl this week is the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'll be honest, I have basically spent the last two years picking against the Chiefs and looking stupid. Two years ago, my big hot take was they weren't even going to win the division after they lost Tyreek Hill. Not sure if you remember. Yeah, they won the Super Bowl. Okay, I think they ended up just fine in that game. This year, uh, I thought they'd take a step back. They did take a step back. And I picked against them pretty much from that Christmas Day game on that we just discussed going forward. I said, eh, I don't know. This ain't the year. The Bills are going to beat them in the playoffs. Did not happen. The Ravens are going to beat them in the playoffs. Did not happen. Uh, <laughs> I just keep picking against this team, and I keep looking stupid. So listen, I gave my Super Bowl pick earlier in the show. And all I will say is if I go down, if I look stupid picking Patrick Mahomes, so be it. I'll take the L, but I got to, speaking of L's, I've been taking nothing but L's on the Kansas City Chiefs, and there's nothing else to really say. Where Aaron was right. Let's stay with Vegas for half a second. And I don't remember how much we've talked about it on the show, but did you see the interview that the Vegas mayor said in which she said that the Oakland A's should stay in Oakland? Okay, so listen, I don't know how much we've talked about it here, as I just said. I know I've talked about it on Fox Sports Radio. But this is a topic I have been on since the move was announced that the A's were going to Vegas. I said, listen, I know people in Vegas. I have family that lives in Vegas. I don't think Vegas wants the A's, and I don't think Major League Baseball works in Vegas. First off, Vegas already has two professional teams. The Golden Knights were first. That was the one that everybody rallied around. They bought their season tickets, whatever. On top of that, then the NFL comes. Everyone's going to rally around the NFL. People are not going to rally around a team that plays 81 home games that they have no affiliation with. The hockey team was a an expansion team that was Vegas's. The NFL team is the NFL. Nobody cares about a baseball team that has no affiliation with the, the city. Beyond that, I think this is important. You know what they're definitely also not going to support? A losing baseball team with no affiliation with the city. And I think that's where the mayor kind of came out and said this. Basically, look. If you're going to come here and run the A's the same way that you're running them in Oakland, it ain't going to work. And so I've said it for a while. This isn't going to work. Nobody wants it. A, a baseball stadium in the middle of the strip makes no sense. And I'll add this. I just don't think baseball in Vegas in general works. I've been to Vegas a million times. You know the best time to go? Spring and summer. You know why? Pools are open until 7 or 8 at night. You don't... I don't think people understand. If you haven't, if you're not a Vegas person, you don't understand. When those pools are open and it's six o'clock and the music's bumping, you got your overpriced drink and everybody's having a good time. You don't want to rush back to your hotel to shower to go watch the A's play the Brewers on a Tuesday night. You just don't. Now, maybe if you're a Milwaukee fan, you come in for a weekend series and you go to a game. But you're not coming to Vegas to spend three nights in the ballpark. It doesn't make sense. The, the city is pushing back. I don't know if that means they're not going to get them or what. I'm just here to say I don't think it makes sense. Where Aaron was wrong. 
So listen, as we record here, Chip Kelly uh, has not officially done anything one way or the other. But I will say, I, I, I thought Chip Kelly would work with UCLA, and it simply has. It is clear that he wants out. It is clear that that fan base has basically turned on him once and for all. I don't think bringing him back makes any sense. I don't think he wants to come back. I think it's it's time for everybody else to move on. Now, I have no idea what they will do for a head coach, but at the same time, this was something I thought was going to work, right? I thought Chip Kelly coming back from the NFL, dominant in Oregon, he was going to be great. It's just been this weird thing that sort of worked, but hasn't quite worked, and you want it to work, but it's not working and isn't going to work. It just simply has. As I said, feels like the, it's best for everybody to just move on. Thought this would be better than it was. This has been a total disaster. Where Aaron was right. So Kalen DeBoer had his first national signing day at Alabama. Now, the February signing day is a lot different than what it once was. Everybody signs in December. But DeBoer did add two difference-making guys, one who was committed to Alabama and then decommitted when he took the job, another one, a four-star who was committed to him at Washington who decommitted and ended up at Alabama. Listen, this doesn't define anything, but this idea that Kalen DeBoer can't recruit or is incapable of it, it's just nonsense. This kid who committed, who signed last week, he could have gone anywhere in the country. His father played at Auburn. Sorry, producer Matt, I apologize, but it's the truth. This was the quintessential example of him coming in, and he was about to lose this kid, and then he didn't. By the way, he retained essentially that entire roster. For being honest about Alabama, they basically lost one player that they wanted to keep that decided to leave. And that really was was going to, that would have stayed if Nick Saban was there. That was Caleb, Caleb Downs, excuse me, the safety. Caden Proctor, the offensive tackle, was leaving even if Nick Saban stayed. Um, you know, Julian saying the quarterback, let's be honest about him. He only transferred after uh, DeKalen DeBoer brought in one of his quarterbacks. So I just bring it up to very simply say, Kalen DeBoer is going to be fine two marquee recruits on National Signing Day. This on top of all the recruits that Nick Saban brought in that he retained, Kalen DeBoer is going to be just fine. Where Aaron was wrong. Finally, let's wrap with this. So I still think I was right on this, but it's trending in the wrong direction. And that's Sharon Moore at Michigan, okay? So Sharon Moore was the right hire, no doubt about it. And to his credit, for the most part, as I record here, Thursday night into Friday, all the key players that could come back are coming back. But at the same time, he is hemorrhaging coaching staff to the NFL and to Jim Harbaugh. Uh, uh, defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, gone to the NFL. Special teams coordinator, Jay Harbaugh, gone to the NFL. The strength and conditioning coach who everyone unanimously agreed he needed to keep, gone to the NFL, and they just lost their defensive line coach. So listen, Sheryl Moore is going to do as well as he can. It was an, you know, there was no perfect situation. There was no perfect candidate out there. I think Sharon Moore is going to be fine. But the reason you brought him in, the reason you kept him is because of continuity. That continuity is going right out the door. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We've gone, how about this, 50 minutes on a Thursday. I think it's time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the show. I think that's it. Time for me to go. Appreciate your support. I will be back on Monday. Probably talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Shout out to Torrin Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-Ed. Unblock me, bro. 
Pat McAfee on Block YouTube. Be back on Monday. New episode, Aaron Torres. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.